Hello, people of the internet. This is Cam here to deliver a content warning for this episode, as we will be discussing some very sensitive material, including car accidents, medical experimentation, firearms handling, and PTSD. We advise anyone in the audience that may have a severe reaction to any of these topics to do what they need to do to enjoy the episode. And if you choose to skip this episode, that is your choice, and we thank you for your continued interest in Have You Ever Heard Of. And with that in mind... Hey, Miles. Yeah, Cam? Have you ever heard of the Plague Dogs? Isn't that what our local football team changed their name to? Uh, no. Hello, people of the internet, and welcome back to Have You Ever Heard Of? I'm Cam. And I'm Miles. And this week we are going to be talking about the movie The Plague Dogs. The Plague Dogs is an animated adaptation of the 1977 novel of the same name by Richard Adams, who we may remember from Watership Down. First released in 1982, this is the story about two dogs that escape from a research facility situated in the Lake District in northern England. The Plague Dogs was created from effectively the same creative team that brought us the animated adaptation of Watership Down back in 1978. It had the same director, Martin Rosen, who was also um, the one who adapted the screenplay, and it has many of the same lead animators, and it even has some of the same cast from Watership Down, the most prominent being John Hurt, who voices Snitter. So, Miles... What did you think of The Plague Dogs? Well, The Plague Dogs is definitely an interesting movie to watch. Um, As a movie, I do enjoy a lot of the topics that they're generally going over. And I think it's an excellent movie to watch. The hard part about watching this movie is the tone that it has. Okay, so you like the movie... Are you telling me that you like the movie and you would recommend it, but you wouldn't recommend it to everybody? Yes. Uh, It's definitely a movie I would recommend, Mm -hmm. but it's a movie that you definitely have to be in the right frame of mind to watch. It's not a happy-go-lucky, everybody's happy in the end kind of movie, but it does talk about some pretty important things, and I would strongly recommend people watch it, but just keep that in mind that you're it's going to test you mm. and your uh what's the word I want to use here your mental fortitude yeah your 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 mental fortitude a good old will save exactly <laughs> yeah yeah i yeah i get it i get it um so if we were to compare this to the earlier body of work watership down you liked watership down right uh so would you would you recommend it to the same people as you would recommend Watership Down? Yes. I feel that they walk a very similar path in terms of what they're trying to, what the uh, director, even the person who wrote the book, is trying to present. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, it's not the exact same point that they're getting to, mm -hmm. but they do take a similar approach to get there. And I'm going to say that, yes, I would recommend it to the people who I would recommend Watership Down to, and I recommend it for similar reasons. Okay, well that sounds all well and good then. Well, we're going to take a break here because now we're going to get into spoiler territory. So anyone out there who uh, has not watched The Plague Dogs but has perhaps seen Watership Down and didn't know about this one so they want to go check it out, now would be a great time to go and do that. And then you can come back and join us at this point in the episode um, at a later time. For everybody else, we'll see you in a few moments. Welcome back, everyone, and now we're going to do our deep dive into the Plague Dogs, but let's quickly remind ourselves of what's going on in this story. Uh, so, this is a story about two dogs that escape from a research facility situated in the Lake District in northern England. Snyder, a fox terrier. Snitter. Snitter, a fox terrier, uh, who was originally privately owned until an accident with his master found him donated to the facility and Rolf, a Labrador mix that was born in captivity and experimented on. Due to the speculative nature of what happens at the facility, when news of the dog's escape spreads throughout the district, a theory that they were experimented on with the plague is spread by the media, and they are believed to be plague dogs. And there we go, we have our title. So where would you like to start our discussion, Miles? You're the one who just watched it, so what immediately just like jumps out that you want to talk about well let's start off with the whole opening shock imagery of uh ralph drowning all right let's, good good place to start let's start let's, <laughs> let's start, start in the, the darkest part yeah right <laughs> oh, i don't know i don't know if that's the darkest part but you well, know what? definitely good, there good <laughs> place to start right right at the beginning <laughs> okay um Oh, what, what what went through your mind when you were when you saw that? Well, one thing I do have to say about the opening, I do like it in terms of cinema uh, symbolism. It, not symbolism, but in terms of uh, the the film itself. It's starting off and it's grabbing your attention. It's not it's not opening up nice light and gently grabbing your hand and saying, come on, let's go this way down the little road through the gate to the house. No, it's starting you in the basement of that house when you realize that uh, something is not right. And you're kind of asking yourself, why are they showing me this? Why is this important? And then they kind of slowly carry on and you realize this dog is drowning and you're like, oh God, this is horrible. Why are they showing me this? And then they bring him back to life. And then they start talking about how they do that. They've done this before and they're going to do this over and over again. And mm -hmm. uh, you start to really realize just how, just how bad the dog has it. Mm -hmm. uh, Ralph has it. And it's a, it's a very risky way to start a show, a movie, any form of, uh, 
um, story. Yeah, any story. It's a very risky way to do it. But they nailed it. <laughs> because you stop and, you, you know, like me, when I first started watching, I was just checking my phone something quickly right before we started. And all of a sudden, I'm like, phone's down and I'm going, what's going on? Like, something is wrong here. I have to start paying attention. And it takes you and it just drags you along and keeps you engaged. You know, it doesn't want you to start soft. Mm-hmm. And this isn't the only time that we see shocking imagery of that throughout the movie. I mean, we're going to touch on this later on as we get through it. But I mean, uh, they um, this is not the only time that, that this is going to happen. <laughs> That's for sure. Of course. Uh, another thing that I actually noticed is once they took Ralph and put him in his cage... Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a number that pops up, and it doesn't seem very significant to a lot of people, but uh, his cage number, or his experiment number, Mm -hmm. is 732. And that number is actually an important one uh, for things like uh, religious beliefs, as well as tarot is another thing that it pops up in a lot. It's a number of great significance, but of course it's one of those ones that seems almost random. There's a lot of people who've... uh, Who've said who've been said to have uh, dreams that turn into reality and stuff like that, or they've predicted the future with a dream. Uh, that number is generally somehow attached to it, and they've mentioned it, mm. and uh, it it pops up from time to time, which I thought was a very interesting thing about this movie to start off on. Yeah, I'm I'm sitting here thinking I don't necessarily know if that may have been the reason why that number specifically was chosen or if it just happened to be a a pure happenstance. I I can't really comment on that because this is the first time hearing about this, Miles. This is like a complete surprise to me. Well, brush up on your occult then. (laughs) Okay. All right. Um, So you mentioned that like it's related to tarot. So how exactly is that? Do, Do you happen to know? So the number 732, if I remember correctly, is, the, is uh, referred to as the angel number 732. Uh, it means trust, faithfulness, and love. With these kind gifts, know that you will make it in life regardless of your current situation. You will be down on your luck, but your angels have not forgotten you. Uh, this angelic sign reminds you that you are the captain of your life. Hmm. Now, the more I say that, uh, Actually, taken from uh, thesecretofteric.com, it really fits. <laughs> yeah. Actually, now that I think, wow. Okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're right. Okay. Maybe, yeah. Okay. Maybe, maybe Richard Adams didn't know what he was doing and there's a reason why they chose that number specifically. Wow. That's fascinating. That's really cool. Well, as we're going to be kind of continuing on through the film, um, we kind of keep noticing that there's still more kind of shocking imagery and a whole lot of kind of like near misses, like how they almost get incinerated as they're trying to escape from the facility in the first place. So one of the things that I really like about the novel and the film is that it swings for the fences in terms of like, not necessarily the shocking imagery itself, but kind of like the subtext and the reason why it's there, especially just in terms of like everything that is happening in the research facility. 
Is there anything about the imagery um, that kind of jumped out to you, Miles, in terms of like, oh, I understand what they're talking about. This is a critique of this, or this is, you know, kind of pulling back the veil um, on things that were being done at this time. So this this movie is clearly a pulling back the curtain on the experimenting that was happening on animals and how mm-hmm. clearly right. clearly Richard Adams wanted to show the world that things like this were happening and he wanted to get the point across that of course it's not right so he describes these things he shows us these things and he makes it a very prevalent point now Back in the 70s, or the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, experimenting on animals was done a lot worse than it is now. And I think it's the work of people like Adams that kind of put more of a damper on that, slowed it down, made it more humane. Because, especially when we get these images of, like, that monkey... Oh, that's in in an isolation chamber? Yeah, in a sense deprivation chamber. That that poor animal, like, you can see, you can feel the fear and the absolute anxiety that is on this animal just by watching the show. Do you want to know what those were actually called? So they refer to them as sensory deprivation tanks, but they were also called pit of despair. Oh, I like that was that. an like that was an actual clinical term. Well, clearly, <laughs> like that animals in complete despair. But on top of that, all of the other things that they're showing you, like the monkeys that are held down by the arms and the legs, and their heads are cut open with their brains exposed, with wires running into them, and and all of these mice running around and had have had like lobotomies or on them or you know different scars, and all these different animals that like. Anybody, like, you don't have to be a PETA member to say this isn't right. Mm. And, no, like, I'm not exactly a, a PETA person myself, but, like, my God, treat animals with a little bit of respect and dignity. Uh, this, is, this is definitely not the work of man. This is the work of monsters. <laughs> mm, yeah, I see. So, in that case, would you say... Um... Would this be one of the instances where you would be kind of like a little unsure of who to recommend the film to just on the the imagery alone, like for stuff like this? I would absolutely warn the person I am planning to recommend this movie on about the imagery beforehand. This is not something that I would just throw on anybody. I'd say, hey, you got to check this movie out and I'm not going to say anything about it. I do that with a few things. One of my favorites is Big Mouth. I'll tell mm-hmm. people, hey, you should watch Big Mouth. It's a great show about puberty. And then I'll leave it there and let you figure out the rest. But this one is definitely not one where I'd say, oh, hey, this is a great show about a couple dogs that get away and leave it at that. No, 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 no. I am going to warn you, hey, there's a lot of graphic stuff in here. But at the end of the day, the whole movie kind of, leads you in and shows you all of this to prove its point and you do have to see it um for some reason this is actually reminding me of a, of a movie uh, i think it was actually a disney movie called uh the straight story i don't know if you've seen that one have you 
Um, I'm not a hundred percent certain. What's a uh, what's a quick synopsis of it? So I don't expect you to actually watch this movie. The whole point of it is. <laughs> Uh, this one older brother who's in his like 70s, 80s finds out that his brother's having some issues and he might not be around. So he jumps on his tractor to go see his brother. Mm-hmm. Now, his brother lives hundreds of miles away and he's on a lawn tractor and he takes the lawn tractor all the way to his brother. And the entire movie is him on the journey on this tractor. It's a long movie where not a lot happens, and a lot of people have walked out of the movie because not a lot happens. But at the very end of it all, the brothers look at each other, and the one says, you came here on that. And he says, well, I had to see you. And they just kind of start to do their manly, I'm not crying, and they hug each other, and that's the end of the movie. But it it all comes down to that last point where he loved his brother so much that this entire story that is so bland and boring, it just drives home that whole point of like that absolute love and admiration they have between each other. Uh, this is another one of those movies where it, it's, it's going to be a difficult, hard journey to watch with all of this hard stuff that they're showing you that's going to make you want to turn it off because you do not want to experience it. And that's right. where this will save comes in. But at the end of the day, you kind of have to do it to get the point. Mmm, I see. You know, very different reasons between, you know, straight story and the plague dogs. But I, I get it. I get what you're going for. Although, you describing it, I have heard of the straight story before, but I have not seen it. I yes. know that I have not seen it, but I have at least heard of it. Anyways, um, okay, well, let's uh, let's continue on with some other stuff here. So, some other themes that kind of come up uh, once Rolf and Snitter are out and are on their own is the idea of uh, nature versus nurture, because now they have to survive on their own. Um, what, are, what are some things that kind of jumped out to you that, to kind of illustrate that? So, one thing that I kind of had the question about... Mm-hmm. And I guess the movie did kind of answer, but of course this is the take of the uh, the story writer, is would Rolf have the understanding or, like, he clearly has the means to, mm-hmm. but does he have the motivation and the actual instinct to kill? He was bred in captivity. Right. So I have to ask the question here, does he know how to kill? And if that's the case, is it instinctual? Because he clearly wasn't taught it. Mm. Now, he did kill the, the sheep. Mm-hmm. It injured him quite pretty hard in the story. But uh, I, I have to ask that question is how much, how much of that could be instinct and how much of that could have been taught? Now, okay. we, we learn from uh, the Todd, mm-hmm. the fox that pops up in this story, that he is a, a very good killer because he was born to it. He, he had learned how to do this. And he's trying to teach them this. And it is kind of brought up later on in the movie as we watched it uh, in, in the speed laps, uh, which we will talk about near the end of this. <laughs> but uh, he, the Todd does say, or not the Todd, sorry. Uh, Snitter says, we just haven't learned young enough. <laughs> 
you know, we didn't have enough time with this knowledge to be good at this when they're trying to hunt and they're just not doing a good job of it when the Todd eventually leaves. Right. So I do have to ask that question of uh, how much of it would be instinct that an animal could kill? Because I take a look at my cat Mm -hmm. uh, and the girlfriend and I, we have a, we have a nice little cat. Her name's Kitty. She, she could not survive out on the own. She got lost outside for about 10 days she hid underneath a shed and just stayed there and tried to get back into the house every now and then. Uh, we, of course, we didn't know this because you'd only come out at night. But of course, when my girlfriend went out and they found out where she was, she went out and she looked underneath there and said, Kitty, and the cat's first reaction wasn't stay quiet because something's going to come get me. Her first reaction was to just let out this huge mournful meow and like run straight to her and climb up her shoulder and be like, don't let me go. I want to go back to where it's safe. There, There is no survival instinct in that cat. <laughs> there is no... She'll chase a dot. She will chase a fly. But she doesn't know what to do with it once she gets it. So I don't know if I personally can see Rolf being an animal that can kill. But then again, he was abused. Mm-hmm. So does that kind of give him the motivation to fight back? I don't know, because is that something taught, or is that something that is ingrained in us? And I mean, they say that um, Rolf talks about that, and the scientists kind of talk about it too, about how he's a very... Well, the scientists talk about how he's a very strong dog, because that's the reason why they were doing the tests that they were doing on him in the first place, was because he was a strong dog. But Rolf is just upset and angry all the time. And at the beginning of the film, uh, when they're first out, he keeps talking about how he would, you know, rip apart any, you know, human that comes up to him and he would be able to take on anything because of how angry he is. And I mean, he, he is successful. Like he does make a successful kill, but he does also talk about how it was hard because he got the crap beaten out of him by that sheep. So, I mean, the mind is willing and the body is capable, right? Um, cause there's also that, that weird scene where they're in a, where they're in a cairn, uh, a circle of stones and, and not, not the manager kind, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, <laughs> cairn, <laughs> uh, not Karen. Um, and where Rolf just has this whole thing about how we need to get in touch with our, with our ancestors who, you know, were hunters and were killers and the like. And again, I guess is, you know, is that, is it, is it possible to even just tap into that stuff? I mean, homo sapiens or humans, we used to be hunters and gatherers too. That doesn't necessarily mean that we can just go out there and kill a deer and or, or kill we anything. Know, we wouldn't know, they wouldn't know what to do with it. <laughs> I mean, they eat it. But, but how and what do, what do you eat and how do you make it safe and there's there's a lot to do i mean both of us being hunters we understand that it's not just you go out there you shoot the animal and you just click on it and next thing you know you got eight steaks it's it, there there's a whole process you got to do right eight steaks and a set of antlers <laughs> right but uh yeah i guess they, they do talk about that a bit so, um, keeping in this kind of nature-nurture area, what are your thoughts on Todd the fox? 
Uh, he's a very interesting character. I, I would actually almost argue that he is one of the best. He is the best character of the movie. Clearly, the best, huh? <laughs> yeah, he clearly kind of walks that line being the representation of the devil or nature, uh, like a force of nature. He does teach the animals how to survive on their own, but at what cost? He does expect his payment, I guess you could uh, you could say. He does get to eat, and he gets part of the, the kill, even though he's not maybe doing as much work as the other guys are, but he's definitely making it easier for them. I mean, does that necessarily mean that he is, you know evil or kind of like has that devilish side to him or is that just kind of an understanding of um this wild animal realizes that it can benefit by attaching itself to these other animals that are stronger than than him and it would be in his best interest to be around them as long as it is uh uh profitable Yes. For him. Yes, absolutely. Maybe I should clarify that when I say he's the devil, mm-hmm. it's more of the the tone he speaks with. Ah, he's got that sort of underlying, almost swindler voice or racketeer voice of like, yes, I can show you the way. I can help you. We can benefit with this. But in reality, when you hear that kind of voice, especially in, uh, let's say, some Disney movies or stuff like that, you'd automatically be like, no, don't trust this man. He's going to betray you. Right, right, right. He's a bad guy. He's, uh, he's bad. Whereas here, the Todd is just a fox. Um, he's just trying to survive like exactly, the rest of them. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, because, I mean, he still ends up kind of being a hero at the end, too. Absolutely. Like, he did he sacrificed not. sacrificed himself. Yeah. He did not need to to do that at all. He could have continued on and probably stayed alive, honestly. He could have just given up Rolf and Snitter or left them to the uh to the to the military and just gone on his way. Oh, yes. So I mean it's I have a feeling something like that is probably what would happen in like actual real life. <laughs> but is I not I feel like uh I feel like the Todd underestimated how much resource man was willing to spend to get rid of the dogs. Oh, I see. Because he knew that the dogs were getting hunted. He knew that right. the helicopters were looking for them. But I don't think he realized I don't think he could understand to the expense these people were willing to expend on it because these dogs are labeled plague dogs. Right. Improperly? Probably. I would argue yes. But uh, ultimately, the the man wanted mm-hmm. these dogs dead for not just the safety of mankind, but the safety of the environment. Releasing the plague again, the bubonic plague, it would be a pretty devastating thing to do, not just to man. So they wanted to make sure that this is not the case. And of course, Todd would never under, would never be able to understand that. Yeah. So he, he kind of probably thought, oh, I can help these guys. Sure. They're in trouble, but we just can go to another place and everything's going to be okay. They're not going to look for them there. But in reality, that doesn't work because... They want to find these dogs and get rid of them because they don't want it to destroy everything. 
Ah, I see. I never, huh? I actually never thought about it that in that way. Um, hmm. You know, like an an animal when an animal is being hunted. Yeah. Uh, say for instance, you shoot at a, a grouse. Mm-hmm. You shoot at the grouse, you miss. They fly away, and they'll they'll probably leave like a good. 500 600 yards mm-hmm. and then we're like oh they they can't follow me through that thick brush i'm fine mm-hmm. uh in this case it's like that we think that that gross is actually has something like chronic wasting disease or something similar to that right so we're gonna go that extra 600 yards right. to find that thing and we're gonna use uh heat detecting equipment to to make sure we know where it is and find it and get it because it, it could be a big threat to the environment Right, right. So it, it's very much along those lines. And, but of course, the grouse is just a grouse. The grouse is trying to get away from a predator. Exactly. It doesn't yeah. see uh, our willingness to get rid of it. Like, it doesn't see to the extent we're willing to do to get rid of it. That is fascinating. That is fascinating. I never... that something that just never really occurred to me. Well, well it I... only really occurred to me after we watched it through the, the speedy time because... <laughs> Yeah, it just everything happened so quickly, especially that gunshot. Oh, <laughs> oh, uh, okay. So now I guess we're kind of at that point. Uh, so another shocking image that occurs uh, when we see, you know, why uh, firearm safety is such an important thing, right, Miles? Yes. So in one of the scenes here, Snitter. In one of the scenes here, Snitter goes and finds a man and the man sees the dog and goes oh you know like come on here boy come on and of course snitter who's looking for a master goes oh a master thank god i'm safe and goes over to him and jumps around the guy sets his shotgun down to Mm -hmm. like you know pet the dog and look at him because he has an obvious wound on his head that's exposed Mm -hmm. and snitter jumps up and steps on the trigger and ends up shooting the dog in the face or shooting the the man in the face and killing him now uh, it's a great scene. It's a very hard-hitting scene that points everything into the direction, kind of makes Snitter realize that he can't really be around man, kind of pushes uh, Snitter to the idea that he is no longer acceptable as a, um, I don't want to say an, a minion or a dog. What do I want to say? Well, he, he'd be like a, a pet, com- a companion, right? Companion. Yeah. He's no longer acceptable as a companion to man. Now... To add just a little bit of humor to this uh, terrible scene, when we watched it in fast forward time, I looked at my phone for what I felt was like less than three seconds, and I knew that scene started. And I was like, oh yeah, this is the this is that scene. I look at my phone and all of a sudden I hear bang, and I'm like, what? It's over already? <laughs> like I didn't even I, I swear I didn't even get uh, I didn't even get the uh, internet open to like check what I was going to check, and it was already <laughs> over. This is why we have firearm training stuff. Like it happens so quickly when you're not paying attention. It like, oh, it's actually kind of interesting about as we were watching it through at uh, like one and a quarter speed, just to kind of remind ourselves of what happens in the film, um, just to like get some additional notes on it. It it happens fast in normal speed as well, but it lingers just enough to like really let it hit you. Uh, literally, I guess in his case, <laughs> what just happened, but how fast it happens when we were watching it sped up is probably actually more realistic for how quickly that would happen in reality. You pull the trigger and the shotgun's like, 
a couple feet, maybe even less than a foot away from your face. Yep. That's it. Like I said, I just looked at my phone for like less than five seconds mm -hmm. and bam, the guy's dead. Yep. It, it's, it really drives home that point that, you know, yes, these tools can be dangerous. And this is the one reason why I love our firearms program in Canada, because we have to learn that, yes, these are dangerous and we need to make sure everybody understands, just like using a vehicle, that there are consequences to using these things without your, your attention. And I feel like at that faster speed, that is the perfect way of showing that. And I even said to you, cameras, like, this is why we have the course. This is why we do these things. <laughs> yep, absolutely. It, I agree. It, it does not take long, and it, it takes a stupid accident for something like this to happen. And, you know, and it's something that will, you know... Uh, it will take a life. Yep, It will exactly. absolutely take a life. Mm -hmm. there, there's a few things uh, revolving around this character um, that I kind of... Uh, uh, want to touch on a little bit. Um, so the first thing, um, so I mean, since this is an adaptation from a novel, obviously it's not going to have as many details. Um, and one of the such details is that in the book, this character who is called Pierce Chetwind in the film, but his name is actually David Ephraim in the, in the novel, uh, who is a Holocaust survivor. So he is like, he has not, like, a whole chapter devoted to him, but there's a non-insignificant amount of time spent learning about who David Ephraim is. We learn that he's a Holocaust survivor, and we learn that the reason why he joins the hunt for the dogs is because he wants to give back to the community. Um, and when he spots Snitter on his own, he is actually brought to tears because he sees, um, he sees Snitter's head wound, and it's kind of like a triggering moment for him because he was in a camp. So he, and they probably he's probably at one of the camps where they experimented yes. on the on the other captives. Yes, exactly. So even though he is probably aware that this is one of the dogs that they are hunting because it's been killing their sheep and things and has been a menace to the community, he still sees this dog and he starts crying and he calls the dog over because this dog has done nothing wrong and should not be punished basically is like his his line of thinking unfortunately you know mistakes happen and Mr. Ephraim ends up dying and of course Snitter then has his own crisis of identity of maybe I am actually a bad dog because my master died because of my actions and now I've killed another master because of my own actions maybe I should just why 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 do I even exist sort of thing um, so <laughs> because Snitter's whole thing is PTSD, like, he oh, absolutely. <laughs> He's absolutely suffering from PTSD. He's been through a lot. And on top of it, it's not like he can deal with his PTSD. He's being put through all of these experiments and mm -hmm. that, uh, you don't get that ability to stop and try to do what you need to do to help you cope um, you, you don't get to, especially with animals, you don't get to talk to somebody who can mm -hmm. help you through that. Uh, I would even argue that he doesn't even get the ability to be kept busy enough to not remember it. Mm, so yeah. I think, uh, Snitter is like, his story is actually really tragic. The more you stop and think about that, mm -hmm. like one thing that I notice in a lot of the older TV shows, movies, and that is 
the whole ideology of, and even talking to older people like uh, our, our close friend Gord. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gord's ideology when it comes to mental health in terms of depression is, well, clearly you ha- you're not working enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, not, you're, you're not busy. You're enough. not busy enough yeah. to like not worry about that stuff. So you just got to get more busy. And that seems to be the olden day solution for this. But like Snitter, in Snitter's case, he's just experimented on and then he's left to like be be observed and like he he's not kept busy enough to deal with this trauma. Mm-hmm. And it's a debilitate. Like, I mean, we see that happen constantly with Snitter, like when he's trying to cross the road and he can't cross the road because he sees the lines and he's remembering the lines were there when uh, he was on the road and his master got him out of the way before he got hit by a vehicle. And that just like causes him to freeze. And is that made worse by the fact that he has had um, elective surgery on his brain to kind of fuse wires together because the the scientist talks about how they were fusing the conscious with the subconscious mind um and it's like oh you know this is like really you know forward thinking work and and whatnot and yet we see the results of what had happened and basically snitter's not able to function like he he can't he needs assistance from from todd and rolf to like actually do anything when he has an episode so like what was the actual benefit of doing what they did to him well i'll tell you one thing i can take a quote from bojack horseman uh, mm. bojack's grandmother uh honey sugarman uh only have half a mind right yeah uh ugh. <laughs> certainly applicable here i was, I was just Absolutely. thinking i was just thinking it's like that's really dark and i'm like well yes it's, it is we're 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 in, we're in the dark now let's yes, just embrace it indeed <laughs> um actually that's um so that's another uh interesting difference between the novel and the film adaptation so uh first quickly what did you think of the ending i specifically just of like the final scene of them swimming out to the island and then we just cut to the credits in this day and age, I feel like it kind of could be a cop-out. So when it comes to the ending, the, the two dogs are on the beach. Todd mm-hmm. has been captured and killed. Uh, there's a helicopter floating above. They bring the National Guard out. They're all walking in a line towards the dogs, toward, uh, pushing them, basically pushing the dogs into the water. And then they start shooting at them, And they too. start shooting at them. And, of course, the dogs, scared, go into the water and start swimming. Rolf then starts talking to Snooter, saying, look, there's an island just over there. We can get there. We can get to that island. Everything's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of left in the air about how, like, is there actually an island or is there not an island? Mm -hmm. That's kind of the whole point I'm sure uh, Adams was going for. But uh, I don't know. I feel like for the kind of movie that this is, that... That ending just, it doesn't really feel right. Um, It doesn't feel right as in like it doesn't sit well with you or do you feel like maybe there's something missing? Feels like there's something missing. Okay. Um, That's the best way I can put it. Okay. 
Well, maybe I might be able to fill in a little uh, some blanks because the ending is actually pretty different in the novel. How uh, so? <laughs> okay, so actually uh, is kind of convoluted. So the, the, the ending that we get in the film is actually what the ending was supposed to be in the novel as well. So like when Adams finished his first uh, run through and then sent it off to his editors and everything, they came back and they said, basically, you need to change the ending because this is way too much of a downer. There needs to be some kind of like uplifting moment uh, for this. You can't just end it with the, did the dogs drown? Were the dogs shot? Did they actually get to the island? Who knows, kind of thing. So what ends up happening is that throughout the novel, we're actually following a, a, a man in a hospital periodically, and he's hearing stuff on the news and things like that as the, um, as the, the, uh, the, the media is, you know, kind of creating the panic, right? What we find out is that this is Snitter's first master, this is the one that Snitter thinks died. He didn't actually die, but his sister, who does not like dogs, basically gave Snitter away to the to the laboratory because she doesn't like dogs, and she was just like, he's in the hospital because of the dog, it's the dog's fault, blah, 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 whatever, and just gets rid of him. Makes sense. Um, so what happens is that um, the, the reporter... Um, that kind of breaks the news about the plague stuff in the film. Um, oh, okay. Oh, I remember now. The reporter finds out about who the dogs belong to. And so the reporter goes back to the man and says, Hey, that's your dog. Your dog didn't die. Your sister lied to you when she said that the dog died. And so then they find out where the military have, like, uh, cordoned off the area and everything at the beach yep. and he goes there and he gets to take his dog back and he gets to adopt Rolf as well because they get everything all figured out no the dogs were not exposed to the plague and everything like that this was all just a, a big blown out of proportion and everything and Rolf and Snitter go on to have a happy life well thank you for telling me an even worse ending okay then <laughs> <laughs> You talk about an ending that just doesn't fit well for the whole feel of the movie and show and what I feel like they're trying to get across. And again, I could be just projecting. Uh, hey, it's your opinion, right? Yeah, It's my opinion, damn it. And I'm not important and I will tell you it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I feel like it was kind of... Uh, I didn't feel that was a, a good ending for it. And I don't like this other ending that they have for the book. Mm -hmm. um, so what is it about the book ending that doesn't sit right with you? Maybe that might help you uh, put into focus your feelings for the film. I don't think it will, but I don't like the book ending because it's just too happy. Like For everything that they show you, they're trying to say, you know, keep your hopes up. Ah. And... I guess it's important to tell people to keep your hopes up. And there's really nothing terribly wrong with that. Mm -hmm. But I feel like in this case, with this story, keeping your hope up from what I'm seeing of, uh, especially with all of this imagery of these animals that are being experimented on, it just doesn't feel right saying, hey, look, there's all these animals that are getting experimented on and their their heads are cut open. They're being left in uh, 
pits of despair and that, but keep your hopes up. <laughs> like that doesn't fit, feel right for me. No, it, if anything, it should be left so that way it should be ended in a way to make you feel more, I don't know if I want to use the word angry, but you should definitely feel like you have to do something about it. I see. So write, write your, uh, write your, the person in charge of your, your district in terms of, right. um, of like government control and that, and how you speak to the government, write, write to your government representatives and that. Right. And let them know that like, this is not right. Mm. This is not how things should be done. We should be treating animals a little bit more humanely. And like, that's coming from a hunter. <laughs> Like I know a hey, lot of times we're, people we're conservation hunters. Yeah, we're here. conservationists. Yeah. So like at the end of the day, we're not the kind of people that you hear these stories about. Uh, you know, uh, the the duck hunter that grabs the duck and goes, "Oh, I'm stupid. I got cut." No, we do not do that. We do not condone that kind of behavior. If you get an animal, you use everything you can because at the end of the day, that animal did lose its life and it gave it to you. Mm -hmm. So that way you can keep going. Mm -hmm. So use as much of it as you can. And even if you can't use it, and you might have somebody that can, for instance, I have my uh, harvesting license. I'm allowed to hunt as, much, uh, as many deer and animals as I would like. Uh, well, or to survive, to right? To survive. And yeah. that. But if I can't use a part, I will actually take that, uh, say, for instance, the hide. I'm not somebody who knows how to tan or I have all of the hide that I need. I can take that hide and give it to the Métis Association and they can teach the next generation of people how to, uh, how to tan the hide and do all of these processes. And at the same time, show the culture that had been lost from right. uh, these, from these uh, like uh, the residential schools and that, that people have been picked up and forced into. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to keep this culture alive and show the kids this stuff. And I'm more than happy to give that to them. So uh, we got really off topic here and I can't, I don't actually, <laughs> uh, I don't know, Miles. I think this actually feels pretty relevant to kind of like what was happening in the film, right? So, you know, horrible practices that happened in the past and I have gotten slightly better over time, but there's still plenty more that needs to be done, right? There's still more... And I guess you should still, even in today's day and age, you should be vigilant about it. Mm -hmm. Because as soon as you turn your attention away from it, there will always be people who test the boundaries. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember one of my friends who was in the military saying that uh, he was stationed up north and occasionally Russia sends planes over the, uh, the Arctic. Mm -hmm. And it's not because they're trying to invade us. It's they're making sure that we are still there and our presence are still there. And they, they receive the signals of like, hey, what are you guys doing? Mm -hmm. You're over our territory what's going on we're deploying jets to like you know something's happening yep. so it's one of those things where i'm sure in terms of the scientific community you should be vigilant and you should keep an eye out on these things and you know what even outside of things like the scientific community there's always going to be people who try to push the boundaries yep and we have to stay vigilant and keep them in check mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the firearms community this happens quite often we do get a few of the bad bunch, even though we are 
proper RCMP improved firearm owners, there are people that push those boundaries to see how far they can go. And is it right? Is it wrong? I'm not going to be the one who decides that. But they are there and they will make a bad name for us if they do something really bad. Yes, the the people, you know, the reasons why we can't have nice things, right? Exactly. Exactly, exactly. That's why I can't have my McLaren that does 100, <laughs> 123 on third gear. <laughs> Some uh, people say that's too fast. Okay, um, you're maybe you're right in that we should try to get some kind of levity out of this. So, um, since this was an animated film, what did you think about the animation? Well, I personally love this animation style. I I wish it survived uh, the Disney, the ending of the Disney Renaissance, and that. Uh, for those of you who don't realize, animated movies kind of went through the Disney Renaissance period is what we refer to it roughly when The Little Mermaid came out. Mm -hmm. And they started, they had a huge boom and became super popular with Disney. And then all of a sudden they faded out and completely changed from being actual hand-drawn art mm -hmm. to computer-generated and computer-worked graphics. I mean, they still kind of do, like, hand-drawn type stuff, they even do. these days, but... It's very rare. Yes. So... And the style is also, like, very different, too. Exactly. Uh, one movie that we are definitely going to have to watch uh, about this is Wolfwalkers. Yeah, all right, another animal movie. <laughs> I know you're going to absolutely love it. I won't say much about it here because we're talking about this one. Right. But at the end of the day, this... The detail that the artists have put into this movie is, it's AAA worthy, in my opinion. There is one scene that I absolutely love with the dogs walking through the snow. And every time the dog would put their paw on the snow, it left a track. Mm -hmm. and like, that's such a small thing that anybody could have just been like, we don't need that. Right. You don't need to show that. What importance does that have? Sure, we can show some tracks around them and show them where they've walked up with the tracks, but we don't need to have them when they kind of do a little bit of a circle and they're talking to each other. Have them right. have put their front paw down and then put their front paw forward and then their hind paw comes up and it doesn't go in the exact same spot. Mm -hmm. It's a little off. Yep. And they show that little bit off. Mm -hmm. um, if I was going to grade them, I'd give them that, that 100 because that kind of attention to detail is, like I say, it's phenomenal. Yeah, it is, in a way, it's also quite fascinating to think um, that this was coming out at the same time where, uh, well, this would have been coming out around the same time as something like The Secret of Nim would have been. Um, Another excellent movie. Yeah, um, I mean, Disney was still kind of stuck in there. We're doing things cheap, so we're doing, you know, the photocopy cell type stuff similar to kind of like what the Hanna-Barbera uh, shows are kind of like, where lots of stock footage and things like that, lots of repeated imagery um, just to save money and resources, right? Absolutely. Um, I mean, uh, so I mean, when Don Bluff left Disney and took a whole bunch of the animators with him, and when he sought out to make stuff like The Secret of Nim. His whole deal was that he wanted to push animation to what it was completely capable of. And that also means that it's really freaking expensive 
because you have to draw it or you had to do it back then because you didn't have computers that could do it for you like we can now. Um, and again, the reason why I'm surprised is that like you do not have people that are like um, have the Disney background because Disney, you know, prides itself on always having the best of the best. Right. So the fact that they had animation that is like golden era Disney quality is like pretty phenomenal. It's kind of too bad that this film actually didn't get a wide release. Incidentally, that might be why this might be the first time you're hearing of this film is because, yeah, it didn't have a wide release. So it kind of just like fell into obscurity, um, but still kind of like sticking to the animation stuff. I mean, there was another specific scene that jumped out to you as one that just kind of was like, what, what just happened here? Oh, yes. You're talking about the magician. Yes, yes, exactly. the magician. There's a there's a hunter that's in this story. He breaks open his double barreled shotgun, and he takes a shell and shoves it in the barrel, and he just exposes his hand, and a shotgun round appears in it, and he shoves that round into the action again. I have not seen anything like this except for in games like Battlefield Five or Battlefield One, where like this kind of witchcraft. Uh, I think that if we can find this this technology or this this way of doing things. We can have a very strong army. Because <laughs> they can just magically... We can just conjure ammunition. <laughs> like it's, it's funny that you call him a magician. I think it's like pretty appropriate. Because like the way he moves his hand too, it's almost like he's, he's doing the whole pull a card out from underneath your sleeve sort of thing. Just like, whoop. Here it is. Nothing up my sleeve, but suddenly a shotgun shell appears. <laughs> so I don't know about that, but if if anybody, uh, any of our listeners have seen anything like this before, please, please let me know because I'm very interested in this. Actually, I want to see like similar types of animation because that is one of the fun things about stuff like in Battlefield where they'll have uh, special animations for reloading certain firearms or when you first take out a certain firearm and it's just kind of like, whoa, where did this come from? I found it. <laughs> So one thing that the, the shotgun trick uh, reminded me of like a few times later after we've seen it uh, is a scene from from the Bugs Bunny and Tweety show, or the Looney Tunes, I should call it, mm-hmm. where Elmer Fudd is chasing uh, Bugs Bunny, and he's shooting at him, and there comes a scene where he runs up, and he like grabs something off the ground and picks it up, and he shows the audience, and he breaks the fourth wall, and he says... This is the lucky bullet. It's been in my family for generations. <laughs> and shoves it back in the gun and starts shooting again. <laughs> like, oh my god. That, that's kind of what it felt like and reminded me of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. If anybody great. can uh, take that snippet and find it for me, uh, I will give you, uh, I'll give you a voucher for one free internet. I think we have uh, covered quite a bit for today. And I mean, there is still, in a way... It almost kind of feels like we're just like scratching the surface a little bit here, but... Well, I think we've dug a little bit down, but we haven't found the bottom of the iceberg here. I almost feel like that's something that's just kind of like outside of the auspices of, of our of our show. Like, Well, to be fair, Cameron, <laughs> I mean, if somebody in our audience wants to talk about, wants us to talk about this more, or some sort of detail that we may have missed, by all means, please contact us and we'll see about doing an episode about that. Fair enough, fair enough. I mean, I'm not, you know ending conversation necessarily just kind of more 
yes, we have covered the major points, and if there's anyone out there who wants us to go into some other details on something else that they feel is important, let us know. Yeah, absolutely. And until then, we will see you next time. See ya.